Plain family, I want to thank you for joining us once again for our summer series entitled Can't Go Back. Now, why are we calling our sermon series Can't Go Back? The reason that we are calling this sermon series Can't Go Back is that we are in a stage of history that we will never go back to what was the normal. As much as we want to go back to what was normal, we will never be in that norm that we once were. And so what we have said as a staff and as a leadership team is, how do we equip our people to understand that in a moment of crisis, that we are able to be empowered by God to know Christ and see transformation in our community by making him known, by being his presence. What we've been talking about is sanctification, the working of the Holy Spirit, the ongoing working of the Holy Spirit. And we have talked about sanctification that it's both progressive and a crisis moment. We love the progressive work of God, the everyday, him showing up, him speaking to us, him doing the little things in our lives. But, but there are moments of crisis, big crisis, where we have an opportunity to ask God two questions. First, who are you? And second, how do you want me to respond? And so the first week, we just did an overview of sanctification. The second week, we talked about Noah living in a world gone wrong. Remember that? And how our world is, is in a place that has gone wrong. Last week, we talked about Moses and his issue of dealing with conflict in unhealthy ways and how God invited him to bring about transformation to a whole nation by dealing with crisis in a healthy manner. And today, we're actually going to talk about another crisis, one that has gone on historically for the church, and it's called the crisis of persecution, spiritual persecution. And the manner that we're going to do this is by looking at a biblical person, a biblical character by the name of Daniel. Now, let me give you a little background before we jump into passage and, and understanding the passage in general. This is one of the, the narratives that we're going to read about. It's Daniel in the lion's den. And when I was thinking about preaching this, I was thinking like, isn't it kind of crazy how we as the church love to teach our kids about Daniel in the lion's den? Now, how warped is that? We want to teach our kids a story about a man being thrown in a lion's den and almost being torn apart by wild animals. Now, that to me sounds really bizarre and almost a little bit corrupt. But why do we love telling the narrative to our children? Why do we love speaking this passage? The reason we love to speak this passage is because God intervenes. And so my challenge for you today is, do you believe that in the midst of a world that will not go back to normal, in a world that we are in the middle of a lot of crisis, that we give God the opportunity to intervene when we give God our yes? Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to thank you for this time that we have together. And God, I ask you for some strong Holy Spirit presence through biblical teaching. I ask you that as we look at this passage, as we look at the big picture of the book of Daniel, that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our minds in such a fresh way 
that no matter what the crisis is, whether it be in a world gone wrong, whether it be a crisis of, of conflict, or, or whether it even be the crisis of spiritual persecution, that we would give you our yes. And I ask you that now, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts and open up our lives to your work at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I really do believe in order to, to really give you the whole narrative and the big picture of the narrative that we're going to read, I need to give you more background. Because last week we had learned about Moses. It wasn't just him meeting God at a burning bush. There was a backstory. And so even before we get to the episode that, that Daniel comes into a real place of crisis, there is a backstory. And so the backstory is simply this. Babylonians were put in, took the Jewish leaders and put them in a place of exile. It wasn't all the Jewish people. It was certain Jewish leaders that the Babylonians went in and brought them into a place of exile. And that place of exile was bringing them to their own country, pulling them away from their homeland. And they were men of leadership. Daniel and his three friends that are talked about in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were three of those men. And they were three men who constantly gave God their yes. And so what the Babylonians did was they put these people of power of Jewish power into their culture and in their culture what they had done and said, make our culture better. And so Daniel was a man of wisdom. Daniel was a man who had a special ability to have leadership gifts that he rose to the ranks of working with the kings. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Darius, and the leaders that were in the area of the Babylonian Empire. And what was unique about Daniel is that the kings listened to Daniel. Matter of fact, they listened more to Daniel than to any of their other advisors. And so in the midst of this, this brought about a conflict between Daniel and the king's other advisors. Because the other advisors were constantly getting frustrated why the king would always go to Daniel above them. And it wasn't just one ruler. It wasn't just one form of authority. It was multiple rulers and multiple forms of authority that always trusted Daniel more than the other advisors. And so there was a place of tension for Daniel. And there was a place of tension for the king's advisors. Now, I want to also talk about the, the big picture portrait of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel point, paints a portrait of how to serve God faithfully in the midst of both crisis and oppression. The book also gives instructions to the people of God how to persevere in faith even with the immediate crisis not having a solution. And so the book of Daniel is talking to the church, to the people of God, that even when there's not an immediate solution in the midst of crisis, how you will continue to be faithful. And I want to give you one phrase that the book really gives a charge to the church about. Listen to this phrase. This is the charge from the book of Daniel. The faithful to be awake and ready 
for the unexpected intervention of God in their state of crisis. Now that right there is going to be the real statement that we are beginning with right now and we are going to conclude with at the end of the message. That the faithful, you, the church, to be awake and ready for the unexpected intervention of God in their state of crisis. Church, over the last four months, have you been awake? Have you been ready for what God wants to do next? Or has crisis and conflicts caused you to step backwards, to begin to spiritually fall asleep? And what we're going to learn from Daniel is that God is trying to awaken us to be ready so that we will allow the intervention of God in the midst of our current circumstance. So with all of that said, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, and we will read Daniel 6, verse 1 through 9. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, also responsible, and completely trustworthy. Now, we talked about Noah being a man who was blameless. Are you starting to see similarities in what does it mean to be a follower of God, a follower of Christ, someone that God longs to use to do supernatural acts in a world gone wrong? People who are responsible, trustworthy, faithful, People where, where fault can't be found. And the truth is this, we all make mistakes, but there's a difference between making a mistake and purposely having faults. It goes on to say, so they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue a sign, this law, so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. So here's the scenario. The advisors were getting so frustrated that King Darius was constantly going to Daniel 
And it wasn't only King Darius, but it was King Nebuchadnezzar and other people of authorities. And there came a place that the, the advisors had set up a scheme to dismantle Daniel's authority and relationship with the king. And they knew that the one thing that, that they could only find fault in is Daniel's religion. Why? Because Daniel worshiped God alone. The people of Babylon worshiped multiple gods. They were a pluralistic culture where Daniel lived in a theistic culture. And so they were going to confuse the king and not only the king, but the people of the kingdom that no one can pray to a God except to the king himself. Why? Because the people of Babylon believed that King Darius was godlike, that there was a divinity to him. And so the, the, what they knew was this. The only way that they could manipulate the king was with the topic of divinity. And here's what we really know about King Darius. Even though he may have had a godlike complex, he also knew that Daniel's God was the God of authority. He also knew that whenever he sought from the other advisors and, and they would try to come up with some other answer from other gods, their pluralism, their multiple gods, that their gods, their false gods, never had the answer for him. But every single time, Daniel went to the God of heaven, the God that, that created the earth. Daniel always gave the king heavenly wisdom. And so what we see with these, these men is that they were jealous and angry. And that was the motivation for them to dethrone the authority that Daniel had in the king's life. Why? Because they knew that every time that Daniel went to God, he heard the voice of God and he would give the king the wisdom of God whether or not the king liked the wisdom or not. You see, here's what the king's advisors did. They only told the king what they believed the king wanted to hear. You know the phrase, they, they tickled the king's ears. The king was not looking for his ears to be tickled, but rather he was looking for wisdom to lead and rule over the empire that he was in control of. And so because Daniel lived a theistic life, one God, and they lived in a pluralistic culture, multiple gods, they said, we're going to manipulate him and put a persecution rules on what he could and could not do with his faith. So let's talk about this. The crisis of persecution. What is persecution? Persecution is spiritual persecution is hostility and the ill treatment of persons because of their spiritual beliefs. Whether that be their beliefs in Christianity, whether that be their beliefs in Judaism, whether that be their, their beliefs in, in Hinduism, whatever it is, persecution is the hostility and ill treatment of a person because of their beliefs. 
The aim of persecution is to silence the voice and the beliefs of a person or groups of persons. Persecution is a form of threatening, bullying, and control of others to think and behave to the cultural expectations. Now let me say that one again, because that's what was happening with Daniel and his advisors. It's a form of threatening, bullying, and control of others to think and behave to their cultural expectations. They did not want Daniel to worship one God, the true God. They wanted Daniel to fall to the pressure, the threats, the bullying, and the control of how to, to only worship the king and live in a pluralistic society. And so because they couldn't get to Daniel and his character, they were going to go after his faith. And so what they had done was they had made a decree that for 30 days, 30 days, it was a real decree written down for 30 days, you can pray to no one but the king himself. And why did they do this? Because they knew Daniel wouldn't do that. His whole life was in a place of crisis. His whole life was in a place of oppression. And do they really think that this one episode is going to throw Daniel? Church, I believe that too often we are a weak community. And I don't mean the plant being a weak community. I mean, I mean people, Christians, can be a very weak community that when we feel a sense of pushback or pressure, whether it be in our neighborhoods or in our homes or in our vocations, or maybe even with our government, we shrink back because we're afraid to offend. Or we're afraid to be offended. Or we're afraid to, to not be liked. Or, or, or we're afraid to be looked upon as, as weird, bizarre, those, those Christians, those born-againers, those evangelicals, those Bible thumpers. And we are so concerned with how other people think that I believe that we don't even recognize persecution. And I don't even think that we recognize when God wants to truly intervene in the midst of our own forms of persecution that are actually a spiritual crisis in our soul. So historical persecution. This is something that has gone on in Christianity since the beginning of the word of God. First, towards the Jewish people, and we see that with Moses, now we see that with Daniel. And then we see that with, with the birth of Christianity. The early church, Jewish leaders trying to constantly science, silence the apostles. And it wasn't just the Jewish leaders. It was the, the Gnostic, the agnostic leaders that were trying to silence the early church. Think about Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death by the Jewish leaders because of his proclamation of who Jesus was, the Christ, the Messiah. What about global persecution that is actually going on today? Missionaries in the Middle East being martyred for their faith or imprisoned. In our denomination alone, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we have had people who have been imprisoned and put to death 
because of their proclamation of the gospel throughout the beginning of our denomination. The first five people that went overseas for our denomination, several of them had died. And all throughout our history of a denomination, there have been people that have had a real call to go into places where persecution was part of their culture towards the Christian world, and they were martyred for their faith. And we want to say, well, then we shouldn't go there. But we believe that God has called us to send the message of the gospel out so that the whole world would hear. Because we believe this, when the whole world hears, we are inviting the imminent return of Christ so that we would be in eternity with him. What about here in the United States, persecution? Why was it that there was a group of people that came to the United States in the very beginning? Why did people travel a long distance where they lost loved ones on the way to this land? A big part of that was religious freedom. What about this? Separation of church and state. I mean, that's a real thing that, that we like to kind of like color that over. Kind of just not talk about that topic. There has become a real separation of church and state. What about prayer being taken out of school? You are not allowed to pray in school, except for one day a year. See you at the poll. Outside that, prayer in schools, in public schools, it has been eradicated, taken out, because it was a form of persecution. And I think what happens too often is, is that we allow our cultural setting to blind us from what real persecution is. I'll be honest with you, I don't think COVID-19 is a form of spiritual persecution, but I do believe this, there is spiritual persecution in the United States every single day in more little subtle ways than really big, loud, outspoken ways. And what we have done is we've kind of covered this up in our soul because we, we're afraid to step into conversations. And we're afraid of how other people will view us. But what does Jesus say about persecution? Matthew 5, 10 through 12. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He goes on to say, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Jesus declares this, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Matthew 5, the be attitudes. This is what your attitude, attitude should be. Be ready for persecution. There's an enemy out there. And it's not that people are our enemies. It's that the, the enemy, Satan himself, has manipulated individuals to be blinded from the gospel. And what they believe in truth and God's truth come into a conflict with one another. And I love how it talks about Daniel and Noah being people that were blameless, trustworthy, people that were faithful. So when people come against our faith and come against our beliefs, they see our character, that our, our character is a reflection of the work of God in our lives. 
I want to read a passage from, from James, the brother of Jesus, because James, the brother of Jesus, did not identify Jesus as the Christ and Messiah until after his death and resurrection. James had a problem with who Jesus was until he had a spiritual awakening. Listen to what James says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James, the brother of Jesus, who once persecuted his brother, was now experiencing persecution. And he told the church, allow this crisis to empower your faith, to create in you perseverance, perseverance producing endurance so that you would see the work of God fully developed in your life. Let me tell you a quick little personal story of my own persecution. I remember when I became a Christian, I, I had a radical, complete transformation. No one would ever believe that Rob Parker is a pastor. No one would ever believe that Rob Parker got his doctorate. Everyone believed that, that I was the, the most likely to go wild, the most likely to mess up. And when I became a Christian, I made a real declaration to let people know this transformation. I had a real moment where I, where I literally went to people that I had hurt or offended and made things right. And I remember it was my first Christmas home from college after I gave my life to Jesus. And all my friends were saying, hey, let's, let's go to this party. Let's meet up. Let's, let's all meet together. And I said, hey, I'm not doing those things I used to do. They're like, no, we got your back. We're not going to do it either. We just want to be with you. And so I show up at this party of a good friend's house. The house was packed, 70, 80 plus college kids. And they were doing what college kids do. The house was bumping. People were dancing. People were loud. People were doing things that they really shouldn't have done. Underage, being stupid. And I'm thinking, like, what am I doing here? And all my friends had said that they had my back at that party. None of them did. My one friend comes late, and he literally does this. He comes to the middle of the party. He pulls a chair out in front of 70 to 80 college kids. He stops the music, and he draws all the attention to me. And he said, everybody stop. Let's listen to what Billy Graham has to say to us. And he said, go on, Rob, get on the chair and preach to us. Tell us what you really believe now. And I turned to my friend and I said, man, that was so uncool. And he says, no, get on the chair. Tell us what you believe now. And I just said, you realize you're mocking me. And it was in that moment that I realized that the moment I said yes to Jesus, that it was going to have a conflict with other people. And that night, I, I went to my bedroom, and I got on my knees. I said, Jesus, now more than ever, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my future. Funny story, several of those people that were at that party have already come to faith. I wasn't going to back down. I was not going to live a life that was going to back down 
from the enemy wanting to seek and destroy what God had begun in me. Does that mean that every time that I've had some form of persecution that I've said yes to God? Of course not. I'm human. I make mistakes. But every time I give God my yes during a time of persecution, every time God empowers me. And that brings up our summer questions. First, God, what are you saying to me in the midst of persecution when my faith is being challenged and questioned? And second, how do you want me to respond? Let's look at how Daniel responded. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day for 30 days, three times a day. He kept the same discipline that he always had, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Daniel didn't care if he was going to be thrown in a lion's den because he knew this. If he wasn't with God in the middle of a moment of prayer, he would have missed the power to be able to be thrown in a lion's den. He would have missed the power to continue in that place of authority. He would have missed the power to be the man that he had always created him to be. And he knew this, he would have rather prayed in that moment and be thrown to be eaten up by lions than listen to the enemy that was trying to blind his faith in this moment of crisis. We know the narrative. Daniel prayed. The king did not want him to be thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Daniel was not eaten by lions. That's the only reason we tell our kids the story is because he was not eaten by lions. How messed up would that be if I told Brandon, Ben, and Luke, and Becky, hey guys, let me tell you this story about this guy that was just ripped apart when they were five years old. No, Daniel was rescued by God. And I know this, God rescues us when we give him our yes. But I will also say this, Daniel also knew that if he was thrown into the lion's den or when he was thrown in the lion's den, that he could have been ripped apart. But if he was ripped apart, he would have fully been with God in heaven. He would have fully been with God in heaven. And I believe that when Daniel went to the lion's den, he was ready to be fully with God in heaven. But God had a different plan, that Daniel would continue the work that God wanted him to finish on earth. Do you realize this? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. No height, no depth, no angel, no, no, no evil spirit. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No persecution, no famine, no hardship. Because when we give our God our yes, God is always with us. Daniel's yes to God Daniel prayed because he needed to be in the presence of God. Daniel prayed because he needed, to, he needed the voice of God. And Daniel prayed because he needed the hand of God in his life. That is why in persecution we push into prayer. Understanding persecution. Persecution is the enemy's tactics to distract people. When you are in any form of persecution, it is the enemy's form of distraction. Persecution is a form of fear 
that is a power to override your faith. Yet our faith has a power to override our fear. And prayer in the midst of persecution is the primary work of God's people. How many times have you heard me say that saying? Prayer is the primary work of God's people because when we pray, we are stepping into the presence of God, we are stepping into the power of God, and we are releasing and inviting God to do whatever God desires to do in the midst of our crisis. And you know why we, are, we go through seasons of persecution? Because the enemy hates what God is doing in our lives through the process of sanctification. And so when persecution comes and that crisis comes, that Kairos moment comes, God is saying, give me your yes so I can do something supernatural in that moment to empower you to know him and continue to make him known. So how do we conclude this? What is our application to this passage? First, when we stand up against spiritual persecution, we allow God to intervene in a supernatural way to bring spiritual transformation in our lives. Second, when we come against persecution, we engage in spiritual warfare, not allowing the enemy to gain spiritual territory in the place of conflict. Every time I feel that there is a spiritual war going on, I go to prayer. And when I go to prayer, I allow God to win for me. And in view of the church, when we go to prayer, we allow God to win for his church. Through persecution, our willingness to give God our yes brings empowerment to our faith to our character, and the work of sanctification in our lives. Remember what Jesus' brother said, said. He said it produces perseverance. It produces endurance. It produces strength. It, it's like an athlete working out. It builds this, the faith muscle within us. And lastly, our ability to give God our yes empowers others to say yes as well. Every time Sue says yes to God, I want to say yes to God. Every time I've seen Jeremy say, give God his yes, I want to give God my yes. Every time I see friends or family members or even my children giving God their yes, I want to give God my yes. Because if God delivered them, God will deliver me. And so I want to come back to the charge of the purpose why Daniel wrote the book, that the faithful to be awake and ready for the unexpected intervention of God in their state of crisis. Whether that be a personal crisis, whether that be a, a global crisis, whether that be a spiritual crisis called persecution, are we, the church, awakened and ready for God to intervene, that he would bring transformation in us and through us 
to the community and culture around us. Again, we are going into another song of worship, just like the end of every single sermon and service. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Make a proclamation. Make a declaration. And today, like Daniel, during this song of worship, get on your knees, open heart, open hands, and say, God, I'm giving you my yes. No matter who comes against my faith, my beliefs, I am giving you my yes to intervene in a supernatural way so that the work of God of sanctification would be completed in my life. Let's go to worship. Let's go to prayer as we get on our knees and give God our yes. So now, plan family, may I give you a benediction and a prayer. Church, the faithful, today, wake up. Be ready for the unexpected intervention of God to be present in your state of crisis so that you would be the people of God that both know him and are making him known. I declare this over you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Plant family, remember this. We are praying with you and we are praying for you. Have an amazing day.